Hello, I'm Alex Rutkeen. I'm a barrister at Thurton and Essex Chamber specialising in mental health and mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased today to be joined for this in conversation by Dr. Camilla Parker. We're going to be thinking about deprivation of liberty in 16 and 17 year olds. But Camilla, can I ask you to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background to who you are and why you're able to speak with such expertise on this area that I really wanted to call on you to think about <laughs> Okay, well, that, that's that's very kind of you, Alex, and and thank you very much. I mean, it's it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you as ever, but also particularly in, in relation to to this briefing that we uh, wrote together, and and very much thanks to um, research and practice for uh, enabling us to to ensure that this is de disseminated to as many people as possible, because I think it's a it's a really really important briefing. So just a little bit about me: I work as an independent uh, legal and policy consultant, um, researcher, and trainer, and I specialise in mental health law and disability issues and um, much of my work uh, really for the, over the last decade has been on, on issues relating to, to children and young people really trying to promote a better understanding of the legal issues relating to those in need of, of, of mental health care and also highlighting the, the human right, rights aspects um, and I'm just in the process of finalizing my, my book on adolescent mental health um, care and the law which I hope is going to be um, you know, helpful in, in, in that regard to, to, to help people have a better understanding of the really very, very complex issues that sometimes are involved. So can I just interject there to say, I, you can more than hope, I can guarantee you that it's going to be useful because having seen drafts of it, it really is so incredibly clear in terms of setting out some of the complexities here. Oh, thank you, thank you. And and this this is a this is I think is it's a very key part of of the the issues like trying to identify when an under eighteen year old is is deprived of his or her liberty. And I think it's it's key in both in relation to thinking about the net the here and now, thinking about people understanding the law, but also thinking about the rights of the the under eighteen year old. Um, it's going to be absolutely crucial when we look at. The provision of care doesn't matter where we're talking about but thinking about does that care amount to a deprivation of liberty and i think the reason why it seems to me and, and we've had lots of discussions over the years about this alex um, around deprivation of liberty in relation to under 18s but i think why this is such a, a difficult area is because certainly post cheshire west um, where the, the supreme court very helpfully identified that the tests for deprivation of liberty because of the circumstances of that case certainly those working in, in adult um, areas um, focus on the acid test and because much of the case law at that point was very much focused on on adults i think that that has been sort of the understanding so at the acid test meeting lady hale's acid test which we'll we'll explain a little bit more later but meeting that test equates to being deprived of, of the person being deprived of their liberty and I think that that has then caused confusion when we then look at under 18s. And two other, other areas I think are, are, are particularly confusing and particularly um, confusing in relation to under 18s is the uh, sort of lack of clarity around the role of parents and the limits to their decision making. And then on top of that, the, the, the third aspect is terminology. Um, the number of times that I've talked to people about deprivation of liberty for under 18s and and, and it comes it, it arises that there's a confusion around that because we've got deprivation of liberty safeguards which apply to adults only 
And that's caused confusion. So, so you talk about, no, they're the safeguards, but the issue about whether there's a deprivation of liberty is, an, is a matter for anybody of any age. And I think this, this is continuing. I mean, I, I'm talking to practitioners who say, well, the judge in relation to this case, in relation to this under 18 year old, referred to dolls. So, so you see, well, that's, that's no, it's, it's an authorization of deprivation of liberty, not, not dolls. Um, so that, that's just one very simple point in terms of terminology. But I think bro more broadly, I think there are issues around when we're looking at this, we are involving practitioners from different fields. And I think sometimes, particularly when you look at the issues rating under 18s, people are using terms that they're clear about but their colleagues who come from a different background different perspective are not clear about and all might be using that same term in a slightly different way so it's really important i think to give people the space uh, and the and the information with which to then sort of work through some of these issues in a careful and considered manner and not feel pushed or, or in a particular direction and and, and sort of give them give people the opportunity to thinking okay, well, we need to think about deprivation of liberty. How do we go about that? And that's really, for me, why this briefing has been so important. You and I working together to think, okay, how can we make the law as comprehensible as possible to people while also identifying where there, there are, you know, areas that are not so clear, but how can we make it as easy as possible for practitioners who are trying to do the right thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll, we'll, I'll share the briefing with us, with the screen, uh, on the screen in a second, I think. Just one thing I might add, I completely agree with you about everything. I think one other thing I've encountered in terms of why this briefing is so necessary is even in the adult context, it's taken a long time still for people to get their heads around the fact that when Lady Hale talked about someone being subject to an acid, the acid test, if they're subject to it and they can't consent, at that point, whether they're compliant or acquiescent or appear to be happy is completely irrelevant. And that is something which still in the adult context people find challenging. And then translate that down to the 1617 context, which we're particularly focusing on here. And I've just, in sessions, different sessions of different kinds, seen, you can sort of just see the cognitive dissonance on mm. the face of the person you're talking to going, well, it, What's the problem? This young person appears to be entirely content where they are. Yes, they're confined, but they appear to be entirely content. Their parents appear to be entirely content. Like, why are we even thinking about this? I was told afterwards at one event, I gripped the podium quite hard at that point, just in terms of, but I think there's something there. And I don't think it's, that's not being critical. That's just, mm. if it's mm. already people finding that complex, then when you add in the layering, as you said, in relation to underrated mm. Mm. Like where do you how do you process that yes yes and then, and it and it's the part of it is, is is saying of course you want to do what's in 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 the best interest of this person but that does not give you the legal authority best interest may be part of it but that in itself is not giving you the legal authority to do these things and again and i think again we, we pick up this in in the briefing but to, to, arise, uh, to, to arrive at a point where you're saying this person is deprived of their liberty, that is not a negative situation. If that has got, you've got there because you're saying what we're doing is we're planning together a, a, a care plan to meet this individual's needs. When we look at that, we, 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 we see that that's a deprivation of liberty. 
we will then think is there anything we can do to ensure to, to lower the restrictions but if if we can't because those restrictions are put in place because that is meeting that person's needs then we need to recognize that we need to have that legal authority for doing that it's not a, 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 a sort of a negative reflection on the practitioners nor indeed the person concerned and i think that that is something that lady hale did make very clear but I think, you know, for some reason, there's connotations about deprivation of liberty being a really bad thing. Um, it is if it's if it's done in a in a way that isn't thoughtful and, and focused on the individual. And it is bad if it's not authorised. But in itself, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, and I think it's still. I mean, well, I suppose part of it just is the word deprivation. You don't normally think of deprivation as being a neutral thing. It sounds bad, mm. but obviously that's what the courts have said, and that's where we are. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share the guidance on screen so we can both see it and, hope, and people watching this can see it. And just we'll sort of go through it. We won't go through it in excruciating detail, but just sort of pick up a couple of the key things as we go through. And I think the first thing, just you mentioned it, Camilla, but just to reinforce, we're extremely grateful to Research and Practice um, who commissioned us to do this. Um, and normally this, they're guidance notes like this, their practice guidance is behind paywalls, but they've made this freely available. So everybody's able to access, access it freely. So we're extremely grateful to them for that. And so we sort of talked there a bit about why it's necessary and the purpose. And I wonder, you, you started to talk a little bit about the acid test and what uh, Lady Hale was talking about in the Cheshire West. And we, we give the outline here of what a deprivation of his liberty is and how we determine one. And I wonder whether you could just amplify for people a little bit, Camilla, the kind of the key points here about, you know, when is a deprivation of liberty arising? Yes, um, this, uh, this um, sort of three elements that Lady Hale identified in Cheshire West, which after having um, looked at the um, case law, um, she, she identified, and, and certainly since Stork and, the, and, and against Germany, when the European Court first of all talked about these three elements, and it's partly uh, the reason why um, it drew out the, 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 the what they call the subjective component of a lack of valid consent um, was because in that case the uh, young woman concerned had had um, uh, you know it was said by the, the German government at one point that she actually she'd gone along with with uh, being um, in this uh, psychiatric hospital. She'd been originally admitted there by her father when she was under 18, but uh, this, the, the case actually related to um, her when she was an adult. And during the course of, of the, 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 the arguments, the, the German government at one point said, well, yes, okay, well, even if she's confined, um, then she's consented to it, so it's not a deprivation of liberty. So that was really why the, the court then, then sort of teased out these, these three important elements you've got the first one and the we've used in in the in the briefing the the wording from the european court of human rights i think it is very clumsy but i think it's important to start off with what they've said so um the the cheshire uh, the the um cheshire west um sort of identified this is what the the european court of human rights has said so the objective component of the confinement in a particular restricted place for a not negligible time, length of time. Um, so that's actually focusing on what is, what's happening to the individual, 
then there's a subjective component of a lack of valid consent. So what's being said here is that even if the person meets the first test being the objective component of confinement, if they've consented to that, then there is no deprivation of liberty. So that is, uh, and as I said, that, that arose in the Stalking Ger Against Germany case because there was a discussion about whether the, the applicant, the complainant, had, had, had actually consented to, to her confinement. And then the third element is, um, again, sort of quite, quite clumsy language, I think, for us, is the attribution of responsibility to the state. So what that means is that the state is, is involved in some way for that deprivation of liberty. And as we go on to explain, certainly in terms of case law um, uh, in, uh, in, in, in the UK, is in England and Wales, is that we've, the threshold for uh, the, the state to be involved is now very low. Um, yes. In Lady, Lady Hell in, in the ReD case, um, which related to the 16, 17 year old, um, and whether he was uh, looking at whether he was deprived of his liberty. When looking at these elements, the um, Lady Hale was, was very clear that it's not just about the, say a local authority being directly involved in, in sort of in, in someone's confinement, but if they knew or ought to have known about that confinement, uh, then then the uh, local authority will be uh, you know, responsible for that that confinement and indeed deprivation of liberty. So there's a process through which we can go in term in, in deciding whether somebody is deprived of their liberty. So the first question, and, and we've we've tried to make this more uh, easily more easily digestible by turning those elements of, of the uh, deprivation of liberty that the, the, the European Court has identified by looking at these 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 three questions. So you've got the confinement question, um, which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, the lack of consent question, so that is actually asking if there is a confinement, has the person uh, given valid consent to that? And if they have not, then you go to saying, well, there is a deprivation of liberty because you've got confinement plus lack of consent. And then you ask whether the state is responsible for that deprivation of liberty. Yeah. They, they, that's the that's the process um, where we um, and in terms of the acid test why we have the acid test is because when um, Lady Hale was looking at at the European Court of Human Rights case law and looking at how the European Court has approached the, the, the concept of, of this objective element Lady Hale said well you know if there were to be an acid test this is it um, went on to say what really the, the, the court is doing in essence is saying, is this person under continuous supervision and control and not free to leave? And in the Cheshire West case, that meant that the individuals concerned were deprived of their liberty. And that is because uh, they lacked capacity to make decisions about their care arrangements. So they couldn't give consent to their confinement. And also the, the state was involved in terms of the provision of, of care to those individuals. So the, um, everything really hinged in Cheshire West. Once Lady Hale had sort of set out that, the, 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 the elements for deprivation of liberty, she was then sort of honing in, if you like, on the objective element um, in relation to confinement and saying a person will be conf objectively confined 
um, if they are under continuous supervision and control and not free to leave. And in those cases, before the, um, those individuals that were related to the Cheshire West case, they weren't, they lacked capacity to consent to their confinement and the state was involved. So therefore they were deprived of their liberty. But as I said, that, that's really why I think we've, we've tended to like focus on the acid test because certainly in, in the world of, of adults, the, these questions come up in relation to people, uh, adults who lack capacity to make decisions about their care arrangements. And it's usually um, in some way that uh, the NHS or the local authority will be involved in the provision of that care. So everything hinges on, are they confined? Yeah. And then we go on in the guidance to, to flag that there is this issue which arises in relation to children, 16, 17 year olds, because the Supreme Court finally turned its attention squarely to this cohort of people. And they talk about the acid test and we talk about how confinement applies. And they reiterate, at least the way I interpret it, and I'm just to see it's your take. Effectively, they say, well, 16 and 17 year olds, you need to ask confinement. And if they, they are confined, you then need to ask, are they able to consent? If they can't consent, then nobody can consent on their behalf. And that's the critical change which took place with, with the Supreme Court judgment. That's where things became different. We always knew no one could consent for adults. But before the Supreme Court pronounced in 2019, there was a sort of feeling that court, somebody else could consent, someone with parental responsibility could consent on their behalf to the 16, 17 year old. So we then, which is why we then drag out, or we then drill into the confinement question and the lack of consent question specifically for 16 and 17 year olds. And then I'm gonna gloss slightly over this just to make sure we stay within time. But one of the things just to flag is, we do talk about young people aged under 16, but the Supreme Court made it very clear they were only talking about 16 and 17 year olds, even if Lady Hale said, I can see my logic might apply to younger children. Mm -hmm. And I'd just be interested, actually, having said I'll gloss over, I would just be interested in your take on how likely do you think it is that there's going to be a case which says, you know, when Lady Hale said the acid test, confinement, lack of consent, 16, 17 year old, logically that applies to under 16s as well. When do you think that's going to happen? Well, um, I, I, I think certainly uh, Lady Hale um, has, as uh, it seems to me, given the green light to anybody who wants to pursue such a, such a case. I mean, I think the, um, I think, and all the judges were, were making the point that that was not before them, and and would want to hear arguments um, specific to under a, uh, under sixteens. But I think certainly Lady Hale's, the logic of Lady Hale's uh, conclusion that under the the European Convention. Uh, the, the European Court has, has, does not recognise the idea that some, one person can consent to confinement on, on behalf of another. That, that would apply to um, under, under 16s as much as it would apply to 16, 17-year-olds. I think the, the area that I think is, is, um, has caused the courts a lot of confusion um, over the years is, is what to make of the Nielsen and Denmark case, which related to a 12 and a half year old. Um, and in that case, um, and that, that was over 30 years ago now, 
uh, hugely criticized at the time, continues to be hugely criticized, but the, 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 the judges find it very, very hard to, to sort of analyze that case in the light of, of these three elements of deprivation of liberty. So some judges think that the, the case was decided because um, the boy wasn't confined in our new terms, um, and others think it, that he, he wasn't deprived of his liberty because his parent, his mother, was able to consent to that confinement as, as part of uh, you know, the exercise of her, her parental responsibility. And um, I wonder whether that, that is going to be something that will need to be rehearsed when we look at, at, at under 16s. But certainly I think that that does need to be addressed. I, I, the question is, I, I suppose, at what point will there be a case that arises, um, that kind of case where lawyers are engaged and are able to, to pursue that argument? But I, I hope that will happen because I think it does need to happen. We've got great far greater clarity in relation to um, 16, 17 year olds, um, but we're, we're, we've got um, a huge, huge gray area in relation to under, under 16s who are not competent to make decisions for themselves. So I think it is something that does need to be clarified. Yeah. Luckily, as we say, we've got clarity about 16, 17 year olds. For present purposes, we know where the position is. We know that they can't consent. And that's why we, we can give this guidance with some degree of confidence What's helpful, I think one of the things that we were able to do this guidance saying, this is what you should think about, this is what you should do, as opposed to here are a series of things and then we don't really know what you could do, which is never very helpful for anybody. So just really because I, I, I think we'll just skim through the rest of this, but just to flag what's here so people know, because what we really wanted to make sure that people understood to get themselves in the zone of what do I need to be thinking about? And the guidance here then breaks down, how can I think about, is this person confined? And then how can I think about consent? And if we've got then the issue, lack of confinement, lack of consent, state responsibility, what do I then do? So we've got these details here. We've got sort of questions to ask, thinking about it, potential for the Mental Health Act, which might be relevant in some cases. Can, can I just, um, just yes, add on? To the, 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 the mental health side, I think why, why I think we're, we're really saying when you're looking at um, admission to a psychiatric hospital, um, the likelihood is that you're going to conclude that the certainly for the um, 16, 17 year olds, as we discussed, but, but also for the older sort of under, under 16s, um, if you do a comparative test, um, I think you're going to, to likely to find that the um, under 18 year old is confined in a psychiatric hospital due to the, 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 the level of restrictions being placed on them. Uh, clearly, um, the judges have not given a sort of, we haven't got a strict test in relation to under 16s as, as to how you, you do that comparator. But I think um, certainly, as I said, certainly for the, the older children and the, the young people, you're going to conclude that admission to a psychiatric unit is a confinement. But yes. you set out the reasons why you've concluded one way or the other. We're, we're just sort of saying that's what we think you're likely to conclude. Um, and I just thought it would be helpful to explain why. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, I, I certainly say now to everybody, you should treat admission to a psychiatric unit as equating to confinement in almost every single case, because if you're admitted, it's very unlikely that you would be able to leave unless the people running that unit felt it was safe for you to do so. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's, um, which isn't, which goes back though 
to the idea that distinguish between why you're doing what you're doing, you're trying to deliver care to this person, as opposed to what you're doing, which is almost invariably giving rise to a confinement of that person. Mm -hmm. And that's so the fact that it's a confinement doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just what you need to do in order to be able to deliver that care. So I think mm -hmm. it's that point we were making at the beginning is, is where I think that also can come in in, in the psychiatric mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. Then we talk here about the consent. Are they able to consent? We talk about the application of the Mental Capacity Act. And I think one point I know remember when we were working on this together, one thing which you were very keen to emphasize is this fact, it's not just does the person have capacity, it's also are they actually freely consenting? Mm. And I wondered if you just wanted to amplify that for a second, because to me that's a really important point, but I know that was something that's really resonated with you. Yes, I mean, I think think um, it, it, consent, and, and and I think the key key phrase um, from the European Court of Human Rights is valid consent. So uh, it's about ensuring, and and as you would with anyone, is is ensuring that the person is able to understand the information. Um, so it's like thinking about how you convey that information. Um, it needs to be age uh, appropriate, but that that young person may have other communication needs. So it's really ensuring that people sit down and explain what's going on to that young person and are satisfied that the young person is giving consent. There's a presumption of capacity for the, the 16, 17 year old, um, but what I'm talking about is ensuring that that young person is actually able and willing to consent to the confinement. And I think that that's really very key. Yeah, and I think there's there's a line, and we've, we've tried to draw it out here, but I think one point I really want to emphasise is there's a line between supporting someone to take their own decision, which is a really important part of the Mental Capacity Act. There's a line which mustn't be crossed between supporting the person, you know you really should come in, let's support you to make that decision, and then let's label it what it is, coercing that person even into giving agreement, so you're then able to say, well, I don't think this person's deprived of the liberty because they're consenting. Mm. And I think mm. where that line is going to be drawn sometimes can be complex, but I think it's really important people have got in their own minds that distinction between I'm supporting this person versus I am trying to get consent that mm. mm. freely given is something I really think is is critical. Yes. And and I and I know we've got not got much time, but but I think that that brings in issues relating to Article Eight and thinking about you know this obviously is focusing on on Article Five, but with it almost like wrapped around all of this um, are other human rights, in particular Article Eight, uh, right to private and family life, and thinking about the the care that we're providing, how are we providing it, thinking about is this necessary and proportionate, and 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 constantly sort of ensuring that we're reviewing the situation so um, and, and ensuring that we're, we're respecting that that young person's rights. Um, part of it is, is yeah, well, a key part of it is deprivation of liberty, but the broader issues is about sort of working with that young person and, and ensuring that the uh, care that is being provided is appropriate to their needs. And uh, on the consent issue, ensuring that that's why it's going to be really important that we, we think about ensuring that they are giving consent, but also how we support them in doing so and keep that under review because things could change. The young person might then decide actually they're not happy and they don't want to, to, to consent to that, in which case we're going to have to go back and think, OK, is, is this now a situation where this young person is deprived of their liberty? Yeah, no, I completely agree.
And then we set out, and weirdly, I want to spend less time on this because I wanted to, or I, what the key thing is to orient people towards, is this a problem? And then we set out here, well, it is a problem. What can you do? And obviously, as you flagged the first thing and you were flagging earlier, the first thing is, is there something you can do to make sure that you are genuinely lowering this below the bar set by the acid test? So this person isn't confined. Or is there some way that you and or can you properly support the person to agree, but not coerce? And then if it is a deprivation liberty, as we flag, a finding shouldn't be regarded negatively. It's a description required. Then we have to think about how we authorize. And this is obviously the bit where we have a whacking great big hole for the foreseeable future, in the sense that we have got liberty protection safeguards in due course coming on stream April 2022 is the anticipated date now, which would provide an administrative framework, but we don't have that at the moment. Dolls doesn't apply under 18. So unless the Mental Health Act is relevant, which we've talked about briefly here, it's going to be a court. And so we set out brief, relatively briefly here, how the court can do this. There's more guidance in the guidance note I did, we did in my chambers, the guidance note, judicial authorization, deprivation of liberty, which provides the chapter and verse. And then we've identified there, we were optimistically there thinking anticipated to be the latter part of 2020, but obviously we now know it's April 2022. But actually, as you flagged up at the beginning, one of the reasons why people need to be familiar with this area and legally comfortable with it is unless they're legally comfortable with it, liberty protection safeguards aren't going to do anything in terms of actually being a safeguard when they come in. Is at least my take in it. I don't know if that's your, your view too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this I think is a stepping stone to enabling people to, to uh, as and when they come into force, use the liberty protection safeguards in, in the way that they're meant to be. Um, clearly, if, if you haven't identified that the young person is deprived or, of his or her liberty, liberty protection safeguards won't be engaged. So this is, this is an absolutely crucial part of, of in, ensuring that um, young people, are you know, their, their rights are being protected. And then what we've got, almost there, we've got reflective questions thinking about how to enable practitioners to sit back and go, you know, do I really know the law here? And then we've also got a couple of scenarios here. And then one is, I, I just wanted to flag very, very briefly Joanna's, because Joanna is exactly the sort of situation where on the face of it, it's not immediately obvious that she is seeking to break out. Their descriptions about behavior, and when you read into it, you might start thinking, hang on a minute, what is Joanna trying to tell us? But this is the sort of scenario where I've seen people in training going, well, parents are happy. There's a section 20 agreement in place. What's the problem? But if she's confined and she can't consent, there is a problem. So that's one of the reasons I was, we jointly agreed on these, but my, my particular mm. concern was to have a kind of general Joanna scenario in. Mm. Although I don't know about you, but whenever you read things like aggressive behavior or even worse, challenging behavior, mm. certainly mm. that's always a red flag. What is this person trying to tell us? Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and then we've got some further reading uh, for people if they need. And your book isn't on here yet, but when when is it out, Camilla? Um, hopefully by hopefully October. Um, yes, yeah, so so autumn 
uh, and, and I'm hoping that that's not a, a you know a, it, it will be the autumn I, I'm 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 very much hoping but obviously we we uh, you can't say until it's actually out there but yes that's that's my hope brilliant great well I'm going to stop sharing this slide now so um, sharing the guide now so hopefully that's been a bit of a walkthrough through the guide drawing out some of the key points and also just placing it in its context to explain why both of us were so bothered about this con about this zone i mean i think both of us are bothered about zero upwards but it's the particular point of bother is 1617 and this kind of overlapping series mm -hmm. of things going on so thank you so much commander i don't know if there was anything kind of last thoughts you wanted to leave practitioners with oh well i think i think it's it's perhaps to do um I know often uh, time is a luxury people feel they don't have, but these are really, really crucial um, questions and, and to, to give themselves time. Um, and, and if there are debates, you know, enable that debate to be had, but sort of work with that framework. And I think it's really important that, that um, if, 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 you know, in some circumstances, you might say, well, this person is not confined, you explain why. If you're saying they they are confined, you explain why. So 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 show your workings out um, would be my uh, my key message, uh, and give yourself time and and have those conversations with each other would be yeah. So a, a process, a very important process, but hopefully we've given you a, a framework that that uh, is helpful to you. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Camilla. Thank you for sharing your time now, and also thank you so much for your hard work on this practice guidance. It was a pleasure working with you and I think the end result is something which is a, something of a route map for people. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I, I guess both of us would, would be wanting, if anybody has got comments uh, uh, on, on the, the, the briefing to let us know, because obviously these things, that they, they can always be improved. So if anybody wants to come back and sort of suggest things, then that I would, I would very much welcome that. Definitely, likewise. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Camilla. Thank you, Alex. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.